Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Lent is about Jesus. Every liturgical season is about how we live our lives in a liturgical fashion. Well, that's a kind of a strange way of describing life. Today on Insight, I'm going to just make sure that as we're checking in regarding Lent, that we are making it personal about Jesus. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to begin by reading the second reading that you heard at Mass on Ash Wednesday. And, and just remember, I want you to hear about, I want you to hear the scripture in the light of the theme that I mentioned during, during the opening brief segment, which was that Lent is personal. Lent is about Jesus. And it's about our personal connection to Jesus. It's about our relationship to Jesus and his relationship to us. It's a, uh, it, it's about, what was the phrase that I used? It's about be living a liturgical life. A, I don't, I don't just mean going to mass. I, I'll, 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 let me, let me do the scripture and the prayer. And then I'll dig in more fully into what I mean. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 20 and ending at chapter 6, verse 2. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. We implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Working together then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I heard you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a very acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And we come before you and we cry out to you, Abba, Father, because of Jesus, through Jesus, with Jesus, and in Jesus. Father, thank you 
for the honor of living our lives so intimately connected with the life of your son. We stand in awe and wonder at who you are and at the life that you've given to us. I pray today, Father, for all of my brothers and sisters who are discouraged, all who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed by life circumstances, and who are feeling a bit down by how things are going. But I pray today for the gift of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, to stir within us, to surge within us, to be released within us, O Holy Spirit of God, be released in us, that we would experience an anointing of hope, an anointing of courage. Lord, speak to our hearts and speak through our lives to others. And we make this prayer in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lent is personal. It's meant to be. It doesn't have to be. It's not required to be. By its very nature, it's it can simply be a bunch of actions that we do or restrain ourselves from doing. I'm not eating this. I'm giving up that. I'm doing extra of this or extra of that. <clears throat> and we can do all of those things in a way that is, let's say, just uh, like narrowly confined to our own world or to this own world. What the Lord has invited us to is to experience life with a transcendent dimension. There's a big word, big theological word. We have been invited to live our lives with a dimension that breaks open that which is visible and material to the dimension of the invisible and the spiritual. The Lord invites us to live a life not only that touches upon that dimension, just like as a concept in our minds, but we we live in that atmosphere. We have that that that's that that awareness, that consciousness that our life has a bigger horizon than the life that is visible in this world and in time. But that through the visible world that we live in time, God Himself breaks in and breaks open and reaches out to us, takes the initiative to draw near to us so that we would realize that we have been addressed in a personal, intimate, profound, and life-giving way. We have been addressed by the living God in Jesus Christ. That is stunning. And that's the world that we've been created to live in. The sense of transcendence, however, is something that is not just about going beyond the world by going out, but rather by going within. This encounter with the living God, where God, as it were, according to 2 Corinthians 5, intends to appeal to the world through us. Okay. 
just hear that again. Do you have any idea how exalted, how exalted is the call that God intends for your life? God intends to show up in this world. God, the eternal, infinite God of the universe, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has ordained, has willed, has destined, has designed you, you, to be one through whom he will speak his message in this world. Okay. That, that is such a, an explosive idea. It, 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 an extraordinary concept that I think we hear it and we don't appreciate it. Why? Well, we often get discouraged. We often get discouraged about our own lives. Now, maybe the discouragement is not about, let's say, external realities. I'm guessing that a lot of you are in situations that are externally measurable, that are quite pleasant. You live in a pleasant environment, pleasant surroundings. You have pleasant stuff in your life and around your life. Uh, so I, So for some of you, I'm not talking about discouragement connected to your physical surroundings. But I know, I know that there's discouragement out there when we are attempting to live in accord with our conscience, with godly ideals, with even our own human ideals of what you hear the phrase, my highest and best self. Or you, you know, you think about, oh, I, I want to live with integrity. I, I want to, I want to live a life that I'm, I, 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 that I'm proud of, and we fall short. And the church is so wise in the liturgy, drawing us out into the open, and calling us to express our deep sorrow, our. our interior disgust over the the ways in which we fall short in my thoughts, in my words, in what I've done and what I've failed to do. In my thoughts, the things that I think can be so discouraging. Why do, my, why do I spend my time thinking about those things? Why do, why do I let my mind go there? Why do I let my mind go into sinful thoughts, whether they're lustful, angry, proud, uh, envious, jealous, right, uh, greedy, right? Uh, or in my words. Oh, we settle for less than our words. Whether we're taking the Lord's name in vain, whether we're cursing, whether we are speaking mean words, harsh words, bitter words, biting words, uh, words that tear other people down, gossiping words, whether we uh, rationalize in language our behavior where we're just not doing what's right. We're lying in my thoughts, in my words. And that can be so discouraging. God, why do I do that? In my thoughts, in my words, what I've done. And you know, when I think about what we've done, I talked yesterday about what? I talked yesterday about living a, like a lesser life, less than what God would invite us to, lesser than God's very best for us. 
Like, why don't I get up earlier and pray? Why do I waste my time on my phone? Why do I spend my time at the end of my evening binge watching shows or scrolling through the internet and, and goodness, how many people are just trapped in uh, like a dopamine addiction, right? The swiping into the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Not to mention the completely unworthy or tragically sinful stuff that too many people today are just caught up in porn and how discouraging it is. Why am I wasting my life, wasting my life on things that are not worthy of my life? It's so discouraging. And my thoughts and my words, what I've done and what I have failed to do. Those are sins of omission. They're called sins of omission. And sins of omission are not little things. Like, well, I didn't do that. Yeah, but remember the judgment scene in Matthew 25, right? The son of man comes and, and judges the sheep and the goats, right? And you remember what it was that led some to salvation and others to damnation. Those that were brought to salvation weren't those who went to church and who professed their faith. It was what? They fed the hungry. They visited the prisoner. They took care of the sick. They clothed the naked. But it was the stuff that they did. And those that got judged and were found wanting and were condemned to everlasting fire, it wasn't what they did. They weren't condemned for the things they did. They were condemned for what they didn't do. Sins of omission. You failed to take this action, to extend yourself this way, to do this thing. Pretty shocking. Uh, it's a pretty shocking parable that Jesus puts out there. And it should shake us a bit. And, and again, sloth. What is sloth? It's we won't exert energy. We won't exert ourselves to do spiritual things. We would exert ourselves in our relationship with God. And that lack of spiritual, boy, we will exert ourselves to get in shape. We'll exert ourselves to advance in our career. We'll exert ourselves to move our kids forward. We'll exert ourselves to look nice. We'll exert ourselves to have our homes nice, to go to nice places, to do nice, to have nice stuff. We exert ourselves to do all kinds of things. But will we exert ourselves for the very reason that God created us? Will we exert ourselves in our relationship with him and worshiping God and, and growing in union with God and exerting ourselves and being ambassadors for Christ, God, as it were, appealing through us? That is personal. That's personal. That's about, I, I use the phrase, living a liturgical life. And by liturgy, I mean the work of God. Right? Liturgy comes from a Greek phrase that means the work of the people, but it's the work of the people. It's, it's the share of the participation of the people in the work of God. That's, that's our work. Whatever else you're doing in life, whatever you're doing in life, however you're spending your, your time in life, is my life, is your life being drawn up into that transcendent perspective? 
that perspective that breaks open this world and the stuff that's connected to this world and the concerns that are part of this world and the desires and the stimulating experiences and the satisfactions that are connected to this world is that higher, bigger perspective that the, the highest calls of our lives to become a saint fulfilling our God-given mission, to worship the Lord our God and to lead others to worship him as well. Right? This, this is our call. And this is what Lent is about. Lent is about us recovering that incredible sense of call that is ours. More on this in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. All right, so I'm talking about Lent as a, not just a liturgical season, but helping us live a life where we see ourselves as being about something bigger than worldly activities and worldly, I don't know, things, worldly perspectives. And Lent plays, or can play, brothers and sisters, it can play a crucial role in helping to break open that way of looking at life. It really is a conversion. It's a conversion. It's, it's a change of mindset. It's the, the Greek word is metanoia. It's a changed way of seeing. So the prayer and the fasting and the almsgiving, right? Those three fundamental uh, activities that you undertake in, in Lent are not merely about starting and stopping different things. Ultimately, it's about transforming the mind and the heart. So transforming how we see our lives and transforming how we relate to God, the one who is beyond the world, transcendent, but breaks into the world, draws close to us, lives within us, and wants to shine through us so that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ as if God were appealing through us. It's that personal. Lent can be a time where the depth dimension of your union with God, your union with Jesus Christ, your union with the Father through the Son in the Holy Spirit. That okay, I'm using a lot of theological, spiritual language. I'm talking about fostering a whole different way of looking at our lives. So that you can say when you wake up in the morning, you're listening to me early in your day, all right? Today, God is going to appeal through me into this world. Jesus Christ, the living Lord, he didn't just live 2,000 years ago, but he's alive in me. 
He's alive in, in the church. He's alive at work through the church to speak to the world. And he needs ambassadors. He needs doorways. He needs portals. He needs entry points to get into the world, to, to speak into the world, to act in this world. That's us. Through our union with Jesus, Jesus comes alive in us, and we begin to see with his eyes. We begin to think in his thoughts, and we begin to sense the movement of his spirit so that we will start saying and thinking and doing things that are not, at a human level, always the thing that makes the most sense. But it's discerned to be the thing that is honoring to God's plan for our lives. That's what your Lent can be, brothers and sisters. Lent isn't about getting discouraged because we fall short in my thoughts and my words and what I've done and what I failed to do. Lent is about, yes, recognizing those things, repenting of those things, working to remove those things, but it's all about what happens when we encounter the one who loves us, who reached out to us first, the one who draws close to us, who speaks to our hearts, who wants to dwell within us, dwell within us, and by that indwelling union with God in prayer, it breaks open our entire horizon for what's really important in our lives. Isn't that worth pursuing? That is worth pursuing, brothers and sisters. I'm not just trying to get you to say more prayers, check a box, go to mass more, check a box, give up sweets, check a box. Again, all those things, they, they can have real value. But without the union with Christ, without the encounter with Jesus, without the, the reality of Jesus Christ, the living Lord, at the center and at the heart of it all, what Pope Benedict says is these things become a weight, a heavy burden on us. Without the encounter, they become empty rituals. It's all about Jesus. It's all about meeting him because he is knocking on the door of our right now, of our today. And he's beckoning us. He's beckoning us into a perspective whereby we would reevaluate, reconfigure what becomes really important to us. Boy, I need to get up earlier. I must get up earlier because when I get up earlier in the morning than I normally get up, I'm going to have a quieter beginning to my day. The, the burdens of the day, the weight of the day, the concerns of the day, they're at a still a further along into the day. And you know what I have right now? I've got some space. I've got some time. I've got some clear, open, undisturbed capacity to seek the living God, to open myself in prayer to the living God to encounter the Lord in the scriptures, to encounter the Lord in the liturgy of the hours, to encounter the Lord in quiet adoration, to encounter the Lord through the beauty of sacred music that I can sing in my songs of praise to God, or I can allow that those songs of, of praise to, to create an atmosphere that's holy in my own house. And, and in that space, be with the Lord. I can learn how to become still. I can learn to be shepherded into a more still space. I can learn to be still 
and to know that he is God. And if our tradition is true, the tradition of our spiritual life is true, this is going to be a process of removing the things that are blocking us from being led deeper. It's going to be a process of putting to death those aspects of the flesh that are holding us back. And it's going to be a matter of exercising ourselves spiritually so that we are going to grow as uh, ambassadors of Christ. Okay, what I just described to you is the classic theology of Lent involving mortification and asceticism in our journey with Jesus through the desert. Did you catch that? Okay, let me say it again. And, and this time I'm going to kind of break it open a little bit more in such a way that you will be able to say, oh, wait a minute. Okay, I, I, I get this. Now all of a sudden I realize that prayer and fasting and almsgiving, these are all wrapped up in these fundamental tasks of growth and holiness, namely mortification, acts by which I put to death sin and the fleshly urges and the bondage that sin creates in my life, in my thoughts, in my words, and what I've done and what I'm failing to do, and through asceticism, ascetical practices, whereby I will be exercising myself spiritually undergoing spiritual exertion so that I'm going to grow those spiritual muscles, in this instance, a spiritual way of living, a life that puts in order and, and expresses in my day-to-day -day the call and mission that the Lord has for my life. Did you remember what I said? There's a universal call to holiness. There's a universal call to mission. You're called to be a saint. You're called to fulfill a God-given mission that is uniquely yours, specifically yours, designed by God for you to live out in the moment that he's placed you, with the gifts he's given you, with the relationships he has for you, with the resources that are around you. God has deigned for you and ordained you to become ordained. He has established. He has willed. He has planned that you grow in holiness. You grow in sanctity. You grow in saintliness. Your union with Jesus grows and grows so that his radiance, that the sense that the, the holy aroma, the perfume of Christ becomes manifest when you show up in the room. Okay, did you hear that? I didn't say you're doing anything. The more profoundly you go into your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more profoundly you grow in union with him, the more that he, his light, his presence, his peace, his joy shows up when you show up, shows up in an environment when you show up. It, if you wear a strong cologne or a strong perfume, what do you do to cause that perfume, that aroma to appear in the room. You just show up. 
You just, you show up and that aroma appears with you. You walk around and that aroma gets carried with you. St. Paul uses that uh, analogy for describing the aroma of Christ. And he describes it in 2 Corinthians as an aroma that is all about the simultaneous reality. This is paradoxical. The simultaneous reality being in his presence and of being sent forth by him into the world. What in the world is that? How am I simultaneously in his presence and sent forth into the world? Yes. <laughs> the answer is because he lives within you. And you can go deeper into that union with him by going deeper into prayer, which is going deeper within your heart deeper within yourself. Do you remember that word I used at the beginning of the program? Transcendence, going beyond this world, breaking open the material, visible confines of this world. The path to transcendence, the path to breaking open our way of seeing this world is by going into the core of the heart, going into, you want to change your consciousness, how you see the world, what you're aware of as you look around at the world around you, the relationships you have, the stuff that is yours, the things that are part of the, your life and time in this world. You got to go within. You got to go within. You got to go within the core of your being. Go within your heart. That's the biblical word. It's used in our tradition. You have to go within your heart, go within yourself, within the core of your being, because there the spirit of the living God is. There the blessed Trinity is to be found. You'll encounter the living God within you. You might say to yourself, I've never found that to be true. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't, where, where is God in my heart? What does that even mean and look like? When we say things like that, it's a tremendous sadness because it means that we have been failed to be catechized. We have had a failure of being taught, informed, and, and molded in our Catholic tradition a Catholic and scriptural tradition of prayer. We haven't been taught. Catholics just have, frankly, had a big F failure on just a, a widespread margin regarding how to go deeper into prayer. This Lent can change that. Today can change that. You, you don't have to wonder whether you can have a, a, a new perspective, a, a new a, a way of, of relating to the Lord, a new encounter with the living God. You don't have to wonder. The reason why is God wills this for you. God will, God's will for you is your sanctification. St. Paul, not a guess. Not a guess. God wills, it's the universal call to holiness. And so he wants you to go within, to go within your heart. And that means being still. That means silence, solitude, and simplicity. It means being still. It means quieting your environment. It means quieting the, the, the space that you're in. Quieting even the things that you're doing. That's why it's so very important and valuable to pray first thing in the morning. And in Lent, just get up earlier. Please, please, I beg you, please. Do you want to live a different kind of Catholic life? Do you want to not live Catholic light? But if do you want to do you want to be a Catholic who who brings the light? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> don't don't live Catholic light. Live a Catholic who brings the light of Christ to the world. 
the only way to do that is to encounter the one who is the light of the world and he lives in you. He does. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, let me in. And he's inviting you, come within, come within. But that means get up earlier, get up earlier. Please get up earlier. Even when it's dark. Why? When it's dark, guess what? It'll be easier to not be distracted by the stuff that's around you. Go to a place a space in your house where you can pray. Please not in a room with a TV. Please don't even bring your phone. Or if you have to have your, your smartphone with you, have it turned upside down, okay? What you want is a simple environment. Maybe light a candle. Maybe, again, we have a, a prayer space in our house with some icons. It's the space where we have the enthroned sacred heart of Jesus and immaculate heart of Mary a crucifix, again, some holy art, some icons. Uh, we even have incense. You can get incense at your good local Catholic store. You can get that little uh, incenser, the little thur. Uh, I don't think it's called a thurible, but it, it holds the incense and you can light it and you get that holy aroma. You create that space. But bigger than creating that space is entering into that space. And and when... when when, when, when it's earlier in the day, guess what? You're just going to be less distracted. You're going to have less stuff going on in your mind. And in that easier, sim oh, there it is, simple. It's simple. It's not so complicated. It's easier to be still. You don't have to move around. Just be still. Just sit there, hands on your knees. Just be still and cry out to God, cry out to God. I, I, some of you think, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. Lent, it's this incredible gift. It's this incredible gift, brothers and sisters, that the Lord has given to you. That's what I'm talking about today. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged by looking at Lent simply from the standpoint of doing stuff and avoiding stuff, giving stuff up and taking stuff on. All of those things are meant to be drawn into a bigger perspective, a perspective that blows open this entire world, this entire uh, material, visible life in time. This is about encountering Jesus Christ who is beyond this world, but breaks into your life. It's not just the world, breaks into your life. And he breaks into your life because he wants to dwell within your heart. He wants to commune with you in an intimate and profound way, in a way that will bring you light and peace, will bring you joy and put things in order for you. He will unbind you and set you free. He will free you from that attachment to the bondage of the things of this world, from the, from the vestiges and, and other damages of sin in your life. And he will begin to exercise you. He'll be your personal spiritual trainer to exercise you and mature your spiritual capabilities so that you will be more, even more fruitfully usable by him in this world. Doesn't that sound exciting? Isn't that an exciting vision for your life? And you don't need a theological degree for this. You don't need special training for this. You don't need any kind of special background. You know why? Because the call, the mission that God has for your life, he has equipped you for. Where he has called you, he graces you. Where you have been formed and skilled, he will use those skills and graces and blessings. He'll use those skills to be graces and blessings for others 
if you're willing to let him. This is what Lent is. I used the words mortification and asceticism. Mortification, again, is about putting to death sin and the attachments and damaging impacts of sin on our lives, the, the, the urging and the, the throbbing nature of the, of the flesh, the fleshly desires that will make us fall asleep when Christ asks us to stay awake and pray. And the ascetical practices by which we will stretch and grow. I mentioned that this is all about Jesus and connecting us to him in a more intimate way. Do you know that the Catholic Church teaches in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that we are not foreigners to the mysteries of Jesus's life? Okay? Let me let me see if I can let me say that again and, and let me kind of break it open a little bit more. What these significant events in the life of Jesus, what, what happened to him, are not events that we are isolated from. They are not, we are not somehow radically separated from those events. And, and it's not simply a matter of, well, Jesus, he went through all of these things in his life to redeem us. And so, of course, all of these events have a redemptive connection to our lives because it's through these events that salvation comes to our lives. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what I'm referring to that part of the catechism. I'm referring to that part of the catechism by which we are identified as members of the body of Christ. Through baptism, we have been con configured into Jesus Christ. He is the head, we are the body. We are in living union with him. Now, one of the implications of that is that the mysteries of his life can be associated with our lives. The mysteries of his life are things that we can participate in. So what's Lent? Ooh, Lent isn't simply a metaphorical remembering, connecting of our lives to the journey of Jesus who went 40 days and 40 nights into the desert. It's not a mere spiritual associating of ourselves in some imaginative way with Jesus being in the desert. Now, it's, it can be, and, and therefore ought to be, something much more profound than that. It's about the Holy Spirit who pushed, drove, led Jesus into the desert. Matthew, Mark, John. I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Holy Spirit led, pushed, and drove. Those are the words that Matthew, Mark, and Luke use, Jesus into the desert after he was baptized. And there for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. He ate nothing. And he was tempted, tested by the devil. And after that, he communed with the wild animals and angels ministered to him. And then he showed up and started his public ministry of proclaiming that uh, it was a year of favor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and the Lord has anointed me. And there's a year of favor from the Lord. He shows up in the synagogue. And you know what? That's our lives. That 
series of events in the life of Christ where he was baptized, the Holy Spirit fell on him as my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and whom I delight. Well, guess what? You were already baptized. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon you in baptism and in confirmation. But have you ever heard the voice of the Father say to you, you are my beloved in you I delight. You are my beloved in you I delight. I delight in you. Not I delight in those things that you've done for me. I'm delighting in the things that you're thinking, speaking, doing, and avoiding. No, I, I delight in you. You're mine. I created you. You're mine. I love you. I just, I take joy in you. I enjoy you. I take pleasure in blessing you. That's our, that's our father. Your first homework in Lent is to give the father permission to reveal that to you, to give Jesus permission to reveal the father's delight in you to you. Wouldn't that be an awesome gift? Well, if all this is true, Tom, how come I don't know this? How come I don't, I don't experience this? Well, we have things blocking it. There are things that block us from hearing the voice of God. That's what sin, sin does. Sin deadens our conscience. Sin, in the words of St. John Paul II, deadens our sense of God. When we fail to honor God by the lives we lead, we lose our sense our sensitivities to the divine. And so mortification, putting to death sin in our lives, like following Dominic Savio, right? Death, but not sin. There you go. That, that was his first communion <laughs> resolution. He's like seven years old, right? And what's his resolution? Death, but not sin. I'd rather die than sin. A seven-year-old boy can do that. Well, what do we do? Like, well, discomfort, but not sin. Um, you know, uh, let's see, a little bit of pressure and stress, but not sin. And how quickly do we collapse and give in? Or even more tragically, how often do we pursue sin? So what is, what is all this fasting about? What is all this acts of self-denial about? What is all of this get up earlier and, and sacrifice some of your sleep to pray? What is all of this about extending how you're relating to money by being more generous and giving to others of time and, and, and treasure and your talents? Well, what is all that about? It's about mortification, brothers and sisters. It's about dying to the things that are killing us spiritually. So dying to sin so that we can become alive to God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the very righteousness, holiness of God in him. We who, he who knew no sin became sin. We know sin. And because of that, we fail in growing in our relationship with God. How tragic. That's a great sadness. Leon Blois, there's only one sadness, not being a saint. Boy, if that were true in our lives, can, can we pray for that? Pray for that. Pray for the fervor, the urgency. Pray for the yearning and longing to become a saint, to make that my purpose, to pursue you, Jesus, to pursue you and, and everything else is trash and rubbish compared to the, 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 the gift of knowing you, St. Paul. 
right, in Philippians, that Christ is my treasure, Christ is my prize. Pursuing Christ, that's what Lent is about. So get up early, sit quietly, be still, and the Lord will meet you in prayer, and he will reveal to you how much he delights in you, and that will fire you up. That will stir you up in a way that other things won't. It's not just about knowing more facts that are Catholic. It's about going deeper into our union with Jesus Christ. And that means prayer. And for so many of us, that means getting up early and praying more. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So I'm pretty stirred up today about getting Lent correctly. Let's get it right. Lent is about Jesus. It's about growing in our union with Jesus as we are spiritually invited to accompany him into the desert through the grace and the gift and the prompting of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And the journey that is the desert that is mine, this Lent, is not the journey that is yours. So the ways that I engage in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, they're different than the way that you will. There might be some commonality, but that's secondary. What's primary is that we, you and I both, in our own way, are being prompted by the Holy Spirit, nudged, driven, pushed, to enter into a desert, the way that I love to say it is, that has your name on it, that's peculiarly peculiarly, distinctively, individually, personally, yours. There's a desert with your name on it, and you have one chance to live it. You have no other chance to live this Lent. This Lent is passing. And then you'll go through Easter and ordinary time, and then back to Advent and Christmas, a little bit of ordinary time, and then there's the next Lent. You get one chance, brothers and sisters, to live this Lent. Live the Lent that Christ has set aside for you. I don't know if and I don't know how many of you feel a little bit more urgency around living well this Lent. I do. It does feel to me interiorly that there's more at stake in this Lent because of what's happening in the wider world. We live in a world that is incredibly challenging to faith and getting harder. It's getting harder in America and in the Pacific Northwest to live out our Catholic faith without encountering anti-Catholic and anti-God laws and policies, cultural expressions, societal norms, uh, ideas about the human person, about life, relationships, marriage, about God. It's increasingly becoming anti-Catholic and anti-God. And that creates an atmosphere. Remember, I talk a lot about culture, right? Culture is that atmosphere that's unspoken, it's taken for granted, and it's just in the walls and in the halls, and it's how people default in terms of their attitudes and behaviors. It's because of the, 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 the density of the culture of the environment that you're in. And if you're living in the Northwest, you're living in an environment typically, especially in the Puget Sound area, 
that is increasingly toxic to Catholic faith. And that means we have to be even more fully engaged in a spiritual warfare, first of all, interiorly. Interiorly, we better get stuff right. If we don't get stuff right interiorly in our own battle against sin in our lives, by putting to get death the attachments to the Egypt in our lives, then we won't be spiritually strong enough to fight those battles against the, the world in which we're living. So that the first battle you're going to have is against the flesh. And they'll have another battle, that another component to it, and that is the world around you, the, the fallen dimensions of the world around you. I'm not talking about nature. I'm talking about society and the fallen dimensions of society and societal structures, society, institutions, and again, laws and policies that are increasingly antithetical to faith they have to be strong. And, and so that, that's about our holiness, but it's also about our mission. It's becoming so very clear, brothers and sisters, that we have a mission that is going to be more overtly, publicly expressing our faith. So interesting. I mentioned uh, I don't know, a week ago, week and a half ago, I was meeting with the CEO of a of the, uh, the an owner of multiple brokerages, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 brokerages spreading across Washington, Idaho, and Montana. And this broker, this owner, this was this CEO of these brokerages was saying that it is becoming increasingly clear to agents that they have to be willing to be people who are expressive of their sense of faith, expressive of their uh, uh, ability to articulate a faith dimension of things, because so many clients that are coming to them are either selling or buying a home because of a faith decision, not because of what is so much more traditional or historically accurate, which is people are moving because, oh, I took a job over here, so let me move over here. Or, hey, my family moved over there, so I want to move closer to family. Oftentimes, it's grandparents moving to grandkids. Or we want to, uh, we're growing our family, and so we're sizing up. Or, oh, no, you know what? We're getting to that stage where we're sizing down. Or it's time to retire. right? So there are different sort of ages and stages in the natural flow of buying and selling homes. Now, it's becoming more and more common for people to say, I wouldn't choose to move right now. I didn't choose to move right now. I feel an interior impelling, a, an interior compelling that I must do this because of the mission I have as a husband and a father. I, I need to take an action to nurture, to, to lead and provide and protect my family. And so I'm going to buy or sell a house where I am. 
And that's just one dimension of life, right? I'm not saying everybody moves because of that. I'm not saying that there are other aspects to that. I am saying that that's what unbidden, un, you know, someone brought that up to me. I didn't bring it to them. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is increasingly common. I'm getting this comment quite a bit from agents who are saying this to me. And and honestly, right, when you hear me talk about that, uh, the idea that I'm a realtor on the radio, it's not because I had a dream in my life to work in, in, in the world of real estate. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because of a sense of mission I have. A mission I have to help families flourish. To help families be removed from a place of great pain and suffering, of trial and tribulation, of testing and tragedy, or of environments where they're finding their families in situations where their kids are being toxically impacted regarding how they see themselves and, and see the church and, and are living their lives. And it's like, it's like, I'm on a rescue mission. You know, people that like my house is on fire, help me. I got to rescue my family. And that, that for me, that's missionary stuff. And, and I'm, I just, I stand in awe because the, the way in which I, what did I mention? God's going to equip you. He'll equip you with the gifts and graces you need to fulfill the mission that is yours. God will give you the gifts and graces you need to fulfill you, to equip, uh, to equip you with the mission that is, that is yours. And for 25 years, I've been serving business owners and CEOs and senior executives, coaching them, consulting with them, and helping them navigate all kinds of strategic challenges to be able to grow what they're doing so that their businesses would flourish. And it's like, holy cow, all those gifts and skills that I've used for 25 years helping these businesses to grow and flourish, they're like exactly what I'm using in my mission now in real estate to help families flourish. So that's me. But what about you? What about you? Whatever age and stage you're at in your life, whether you're single, whether you're empty nesters, whether you're grandparents or great-grandparents, whether you are uh, married and raising kids, God has given you gifts and skills. He's given you a mission. And that mission that he's given you to accomplish, you'll be surprised and amazed at the way in which he wants to be an ambassador. That He will use you as an ambassador, an ambassador for him. To shine forth into other people's lives. I just gave you a testimony for how that's happening in my life right now through real estate. But that's through the job that I do. That, that can be your job too. Your job in your way, where you're planted to do what you're doing in the relationships that you have. Lent can be about that. Lent can be about just hold on to those two words. Holiness and mission. And that means they're about mortification, to die to those things that are holding back growth and holiness, and asceticism, spiritual exercise and training so that you can more fully, fruitfully accomplish your mission. That's why we're in the desert with Christ. That's why he's designed a desert for us to journey with him into, to lead us away from the slavery in Egypt that is ours, and through the exodus in the desert to lead us to the promised land where we can be fruitfully used by him to proclaim the gospel today. He proclaims his gospel through our lives. That's what Lent is all about.